Hello, and welcome to another episode of Health Affairs This Week, where we discuss the health policy news that caught our eye this week. I'm Jessica Bylander. I'm Leslie Ertelak. And this week, to be honest, I've been glued to the coverage of what's going on in Afghanistan, as I know many people are, and my heart goes out to those in the country who are trying to find a way out, and anyone with loved ones there. So, you know, in times like these, it can be hard to focus on domestic health policy, but we did want to draw attention to a piece of news that somewhat flew under the radar with so much attention pointed elsewhere, and that's some news about the U.S. food stamps program that is really quite historic. So earlier this week, the Biden administration approved a huge increase in the amount of assistance available through the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, or SNAP, which is often known as the food stamp program. So starting in October, the average SNAP benefit will increase more than 25% above the levels prior to the pandemic. Now, due to the pandemic, both the Trump and Biden administrations had increased levels of SNAP benefits on a temporary basis, but not only is this new increase larger, it's permanent. So Leslie, what kind of increases can beneficiaries expect to see to their SNAP benefits, and how did we get here? Sure. So the USDA, which is the agency that oversees the program, said that the new maximum SNAP benefit for a family of four will soon increase to about $835 a month. And this is really the most substantial increase that we've seen in the history of the program, which has been around more than 60 years. And SNAP helps to feed about 42 million Americans. That's one in eight people every month. So right, yeah, how how do we get here? So I actually learned this week about how USDA calculates this benefit, and I'll talk a little bit about some of the things that surprised me. But just to take a step back and say for context, you know, food prices are rising and you're probably well aware of this if you're the one making those trips to the grocery store. But for many years, a lot of families who rely on SNAP have been struggling to get enough food at the current benefit levels. And then the USDA secretary actually said something that I think really hits home which is that the pandemic sort of shocked people out of the belief that this is a program for somebody else that, you know, I would never need to be involved in the SNAP program, right? And then all of a sudden he said, we found families either in need of SNAP or the food banks that never in a million years thought that they would be faced with this situation. So there's been just an incredible rise in hunger and food insecurity. And you might think it was the pandemic that pushed USDA to make this change, but there's actually more to the story. And it turns out that there was a provision in the 2018 Farm Bill that mandated a review of this shopping list um, for all intents and purposes that's used to allocate food stamp benefits. It's called the Thrifty Food Plan, and it's one of four plans that USDA uses to estimate the weekly cost of a nutritious diet across different price points, with Thrifty being the lowest cost of the four. So when Biden took office in January, he wanted the department to speed up the process. And so for the first time in a long time, USDA reevaluated the plan and modernized it in a way to reflect current food prices, what Americans typically eat, and they also factored in other dietary and nutritional guidelines too. So for many years, USDA had been so focused on keeping costs neutral that the purchasing power of the plan never really changed. 
And so we did see a temporary increase in SNAP benefits earlier this year because of COVID, like you said, Jess, but we've seen this play out now over several decades and the benefit levels just reached a point where they were just too low. So in effect, the farm bill took away some of those constraints. And I think this is a major step in trying to fix what had been a pretty distorted way of looking at food costs in favor of a more evidence-based, realistic approach that takes into account what real families um, are doing and what they're consuming at home for a healthy diet. Yeah, this is an incredible step. I think, you know, just the fact that the levels hadn't increased in so many years and, and you know, hearing the news that based on the levels, people were having to buy less healthy foods, less fruits and vegetables, and more kind of foods that filled your stomach but didn't necessarily provide nutritious value. So this is a huge step in kind of meeting people, meeting the moment and meeting the current cost of food, which, as you said, is um, a lot higher than it was in the 70s. So this is a really exciting development. Um, and it's just one step, albeit a big one among others that the administration is working on to strengthen the U.S. social safety net. The American Rescue Plan Act, for instance, which was passed in March, extended a Trump administration increase in SNAP benefits through the end of September, provided more than a billion dollars to states for SNAP administration, and increased the value of vouchers in what's called the WIC program, which is for women, infants, and children during the pandemic. And as you and I discussed in a previous episode of this week, it also extended pandemic EBT benefits, which provide money for food to families during school closures as a result of the pandemic. Yeah, and you know, it's it's hard to overstate the benefits and the relief, I think, that these programs have brought to so many people. Um, you know, they've really been a lifeline. That being said, you know, you start to kind of do the math in your head. And while there are some things that are maybe harder to put a price tag on, some lawmakers this week we're quick to point out that reevaluating the thrifty food plan means that we're essentially looking at a 20 billion per year increase to federal spending for SNAP. Now the cost of the program actually was down just before the pandemic, but concerns about how this affects the federal budget loom large. Um, particularly as more people are facing food insecurity from the pandemic. And, you know, the debate always seems to circle back to the size of the benefit, but we've seen how enhanced nutrition benefits have really helped alleviate food insecurity, particularly over this last year. And we've also seen a greater emphasis on strengthening these safety net programs through things like housing protections, unemployment benefits, of course, food assistance. But what other steps can we expect to see, do you think? And importantly, what do you think it means for health? Yeah, I mean, these are huge investments. And and the hope, I think, is that um, investing in one area will, you know, ultimately have returns in another area, such as um, improved health and lower health care costs. So for years, people have been talking about and we've been publishing about how addressing social determinants of health like poverty, hunger, ha- access to childcare, and so on um, can make a difference in health, um, for example, children's health and overall development and their ability to thrive. Um, so now maybe we'll be testing this in a big way with all these interventions. Another one to highlight is the new child tax credit, um, which is being administered in monthly payments to families with children, um, up to about $300 per month per child, kind of depending on your income. And I can attest it's real. The payments started showing up in my bank account last month. 
Um, but unlike the SNAP increase, this one isn't permanent unless Congress decides to extend it or even, you know, make it permanent. Um, so that's a huge influx of um, income to to families with children. Then looking ahead, we have the long road ahead for the infrastructure bill and budget reconciliation legislation, which if passed in tandem would bolster the social safety net in so many ways through paid family and medical leave, childcare, tuition-free community college, ACA expansion, um, expanding Medicare to include dental vision and hearing benefits. Um, there's just so many things um, on the table in um, those bills that could make a huge difference um, in improving the sort of social determinants of health that we mentioned. Um, so if listeners haven't checked it out, they can hear a deeper dive on what's in the now Senate-approved infrastructure bill, at least as it relates to health, and that's in the August 6th episode of this week. So do check that out. Um, and maybe we'll have a chance to do a deeper dive on everything that might end up in this potentially $3.5 trillion budget bill. But at this point, what we have is a budget resolution that was passed along party lines by the Senate, which basically directs more than a dozen committees to write their pieces of the budget bill, and they have until September 15th to do so. So we have sort of the bullet points of, of what should be included and the dollar amounts, but we don't know exactly what the final bill will look like yet, um, though we have some sense of what it will include. And that's literally all I wrote. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, that's great. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, thanks for laying that all out. I think it's great to, and really helpful to kind of explore those connections. These are persistent problems and, and shortcomings that are really hard to address. But I think the fact that we're recognizing them, right, and we're seeing solutions kind of materialize in these pieces of legislation, um, I, I'm optimistic. I also think it's it's really commendable. So, so yeah, thanks, Jess. Let's leave yeah. it there. <laughs> Sounds good. It's definitely a historic time um, and a good moment to wrap up on. So thanks for chatting, Leslie. Yeah, thanks, Jess. Join us next week for another episode of Health Affairs This Week and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Bye.